Welcome back to Bible Time. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Quench not the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we come before you with fear and trembling today because this is such a heavy topic, Father, such a heavy admonition, Father, such a such a deadly thing to fall into, Father, and we don't want this, Lord, in our lives. We want to obey this commandment. We ask you, Lord God, to help us to be obedient to the promptings of your Holy Spirit, to be obedient to the Word of God. Lord, help us, Father, in Jesus' name, to be broken and contrite before you, and Lord, to be filled with the Spirit, as your Word says. Help us, Lord, not to quench your Holy Spirit in our lives, in our ministries, Lord, and the work that you have for us to do, in Jesus' name, and for Christ's sake, amen. Quench not the Spirit. Go to John chapter 14. In order to actually to rightly divide this and understand what this is saying, we need to look real briefly at a survey of some of the scriptures Christ gave us about the Holy Ghost, about the Holy Spirit. This will not be an exhaustive study of the Holy Spirit of God or His workings, but rather a, we will try to just get a good overview so of the working of the Holy Spirit of God so that we can make application to this text today, through this text today, to quench not the Spirit. The Spirit is God. That's the first thing that you need to know about the Spirit of God. The Bible says in John chapter 4, God is a Spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth truth. There's a little S spirit in the Bible that's talking about the spirit of man that can sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear speaking about the spirit of the man that is within the man. Ephesians describes the spirit of man in his lost state as dead in trespasses and sins. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, the closing part of that verse says, If any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. To be without the spirit of God living within you is to be lost and separated from God without hope in this world. John chapter 14, here in verse 17, he says, Even the spirit of truth, God calls Jesus. Christ, God in the flesh, calls the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. Now here he says in verse 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. He says here, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. This is speaking to the believer. Back in verse 11, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Back in verse 10, Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? And over and over and over again through the book of John, we're commanded to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, whosoever believes on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. Here are the saved people, the born again people that Jesus talked about in John chapter 3. These are being admonished by Jesus Christ that he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also and greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my father. The source for these greater works that we will do, greater works than walking on the water, greater works than healing the lepers and the blind, greater works than raising Lazarus from the dead, greater works than these shall he do, greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. That's what Jesus said, not what I said. Some people would say that miracles are over. Well, they are if you have quenched the Holy Spirit of God, but God wants to do miracles in your life. By the way, God is the one that defines 
defines what a greater work is. God is the defi- the one who defines um, who gets to say what work is a greater work, but it better and he will in the Bible. <clears throat> We're not going to get off on that, get sidetracked today. He says here, if you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 16, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Verse 16 there with a capital C, a comforter, another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. He said, he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. This is a key verse here. The Bible says in John chapter 7, hold your place and turn back to John chapter 7. Look at verse 37 there. The Bible's going to tell us that the Holy Spirit is not yet given here. It says in the last day of that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me as the scripture hath said out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive for the Holy... For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So we find that Jesus is still operating here in the same fashion and his disciples are still operating along the same fashion of the Old Testament saints that the Holy Spirit is not yet given. But in John chapter 14, he said that God would, that he would pray the Father and the Father God would give another comforter. Father, he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth them not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Here Jesus Christ promised the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God that the Holy Spirit would not be only on the outside influencing the believer, speaking externally to the heart or even the ear of the believer as he did in the days of Samuel when he said, Samuel, Samuel, and old Eli had told Samuel to say to him, here am I, Lord, here am I, Lord, and he heard the voice of God, apparently audibly as far as we can tell, Jesus is saying there is something far greater, something far better than the Old Testament revelations given by the Holy Holy Spirit of God, something far more intimate than the Holy Spirit moving upon a man and walking with a man and speaking to the man externally that the Holy Spirit of God would be moving within the believer and would live inside the believer. He said at that day, ye shall know that I am in my father and ye in me and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me and he that loveth me shall be loved to my father and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? We're talking about the manifestation now of the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all, speaking of the believer. But this manifestation of the Holy Spirit that was promised by Jesus Christ is not a manifestation that is visible to anybody else but the believer. In this case, this manifestation, there are other 
other manifestations mentioned in the Bible. But in this case, this most intimate, this most precious, this most promised, this first promise of manifested presence of the Holy Spirit of God is a manifestation that will be manifested to the believer and not unto the world. Jesus answered and said unto him in verse 23, if any man love me, he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. You need to understand today that God the Holy Ghost is God the Son and God the Father and that when a newborn believer born again by the Spirit of God, by the incorruptible seed, the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever, when that newborn believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost have just moved in to that believer and have now taken up residence and made their abode in the life of that believer. This great promise is one of the greatest blessings that God has ever given man. This great promise is one of the greatest mysteries that God has ever revealed to mankind that God himself would move into the very body of a physical, carnal, limited, earthly, fleshly man and take up his abode with him. This is the mystery of regeneration. This is the work of being born again. This is how God does it. This is what God means by it. He said, He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard how how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye loved me, ye would rejoice because I said I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. Here in John chapter 15, Jesus carries on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit of God. Every study of the Holy Spirit of God should begin in John chapter 14, 15 and 16 because here Jesus Christ himself teaches the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the operation of the Holy Spirit, the working of the Holy Spirit in the new covenant, in the church age, in this time, in this hidden mystery that was not understood before but now in these last days has been made known unto us by the Son of God. Jesus Christ gives us this doctrine and any doctrine of the Holy Spirit that contradicts the doctrines that are here given by Jesus Christ is at best out of balance and at worst heresy. Every doctrine of the Holy Spirit of God throughout your Bible must be, must be understood in the light of John chapter 14, 15, and 16 because here is where Jesus lays the groundwork. This is where Jesus gives the foundational understanding of the New Testament truth and revelation of the work of the Holy Spirit of God. Those that would throw out the book of Acts sin against God, but those that would go to the book of Acts throwing out John 14, 15, and 16 fall into great error and miss what God has intended for us to understand in his word by their negligence to rightly divide the word of truth and to properly understand the Bible in its context. 
I am the vine, Jesus said, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. This is how Jesus Christ can enter into a fleshly man and dwell in him. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me he is cast forth as a branch and is withered and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, you'll notice that the position of abiding in Christ is not a static position. It is not a guaranteed position, but rather it is a position that is maintained by the believer maintaining his close communion and walk with Christ through faith in the word of God and obedience to the word of God. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I have command, I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. How did he make these things known? The Spirit of truth, the Comforter, will come unto you and teach you all things, he said, and bring to your remembrance all things that I have spoken unto you. So here he's made known all things unto you. He says, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. Follow along in your Bibles, please. In John chapter 15 and verse 16, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you that ye love one another. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own, but because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. Here, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is opened by Jesus Christ as a manifestation of the Holy Ghost indwelling God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit of God, fully God, fully Holy Spirit, fully one part of the Trinity, and fully the God. Godhead in its triune glory, the Holy Spirit of God, fully God, fully Holy Spirit, moving into the man, dwelling in the man 
and doing it in such a way that God the Holy Ghost is manifesting himself to the man without manifesting himself to the world. But then here, as he goes on and speaks of abiding in Christ, he gives us the fact that if we abide in Christ and his words abide in us, that we will bring forth much fruit, that our obedience in faith to the word of God empowered by the Holy Spirit of God will produce visible fruit that the world will be able to see and thereby the world will understand the manifestation. The world will understand the manifestation of the Holy Spirit of God through the fruit that God gives in the life of the believer who's been born again and dwelt by the Holy Spirit of God and is abiding in the Holy Spirit of God and keeping His commandments. This is the doctrine that Jesus gave us. It also shows us today that the world will react to the manifestation of the Holy Spirit of God in the life of the believer who is abiding in him. The fruit that is coming out of that believer, the world will react through persecution. And that persecution may end in death. He said, he that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this come at the past that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the father, even the spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness because ye have been with me from the beginning. Here, the manifest fruit, the manifest um, power of the Holy Spirit of God in the life of the believer is shown forth in the empowered Holy Spirit, empowered witness to the truth of the gospel. These are the primary evidences of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer and is moving in the life of the believer. These things have I spoken unto you, he says, that ye should not be offended. He tells them that they will suffer. They'll be put out of the synagogues. He says in verse 7, nevertheless I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he shall, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and show it unto you." The Holy Spirit of God comes with reproving power. The Holy Spirit of God comes with convicting power. The Holy Spirit of God makes witnesses out of those that love Him. The Holy Spirit of God fills the believer with love for God and love for his fellow man and love for his brother and a burden for the lost. The Holy Spirit of God teaches the believer doctrine, teaches the believer truth, opens to the believer the understanding of the Scripture. The Holy Spirit of God brings repentance through reproving the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment and because of these greater works that the Holy Spirit does he doesn't say here a greater work of possibly building a bridge to the moon he doesn't say a greater work of digging through to the center of the earth he's speaking here of a greater work of bringing fruit bringing fruit from a dead old barren locust tree that can bear nothing but thorns but God the Holy Spirit moves in and grafts a new nature into that tree and 
grafts that tree into himself and that tree becomes in God and God in that tree and that tree begins to bring forth fruit unto righteousness and the world is condemned and reproved through the life of that believer who is filled with the Holy Spirit of God and abiding in the Holy Spirit of God. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20. John chapter 20 and verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. So here's Jesus Christ in John chapter 20, freshly risen from the dead, um, brand new resurrected body standing there before them. And his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And then said Jesus unto them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them them and saith unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost, receive ye the Holy Ghost. In John chapter seven, the Bible says the Holy Spirit was not yet given here in John chapter 20 and verse 22. It marks the exact time when Jesus gave the Holy Spirit of God, but the manifestation of the Holy Spirit of God and bringing forth much fruit in the believers was not yet present. And indeed it would be something like another 40 days or something like that. I'm not sure. I didn't study up and brush up on that, but it would be another great while, several weeks before the day of Pentecost would be fully come and the Holy Spirit of God would be poured out upon these indwelt believers. There are some that say that the Holy Spirit was not in these people when Jesus Christ breathed and said this, and I would have to ask them on what authority they call into question the efficacy of Christ's word. Every other time in the Bible that Jesus Christ gives the command, let there be light, there is light. When he says, let the dry land appear, the dry land appears. When Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, he did not sit in the grave for another 40 days and then come forth. Every time Jesus gives a command, the command that he gives is executed unless in the command he gives a period of time before it will be accomplished. The centurion said to Jesus, say the word only and he will be healed. Jesus said the word and the centurion's servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Jesus here gave the Holy Ghost and you have no doctrinal, theological, or biblical argument, at least that I have ever seen, that anyone has brought to me. I'd be open to it from the scriptures, where, but there is none that I've ever seen where you could biblically maintain the case that these men did not get the Holy Ghost whenever Jesus gave them the Holy Ghost. Such a thing is absurd in the extreme and it breaks the context of all of scripture to fit your pet doctrines and that's a great problem and an agreement error. So here Jesus gives the Holy Ghost. He breathes on them, says receive the Holy Ghost. And by all scripture that we've ever read and can see, we must believe that when Jesus said receive the Holy Ghost, they received the Holy Ghost. Luke chapter 24 verse 45. Now, if you have built a, a good doctrine on a false supposition that they did not receive the Holy Ghost, throw out the false supposition and keep the good doctrine and find the right Bible verses to support it instead of resting other scriptures because that will lead to destruction. Luke chapter 24 and verse 45. Then opened he their understanding. Here, Jesus, eating a piece of a broiled fish and a honeycomb, speaking to the disciples who yet believed not for joy. And he says here, the Bible says here in verse 45, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. We find here in the word of God that on the reception of, upon the reception of the Holy Spirit of God, these new believers who were believers, but they were Jewish believers that did not have the Holy Ghost 
But then upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, the the one thing that was remaining in John chapter 7 before God would send the comforter, the thing that Jesus said, if I go not away, I will not send him. So it is expedient for you that I go away. Speaking of his death. Now his death has been accomplished. His resurrection has been completed. The Holy Spirit is given in power to the disciples. But instead of running around and dancing, instead of speaking the gospel in the tongue of all those people that were gathered, instead of anything like that, what they got when the Holy Spirit came was understanding of the scriptures. And this is where the work of the Holy Spirit always starts in the life of a believer with the understanding of the scriptures being open. And now these disciples can understand the word of God. The Bible says that Jesus said unto them in verse 46 of Luke 24, thus it is written and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. But instead of having them go out and beat the streets and start preaching the gospel, he tells them in verse 49, and behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And he gives them this command and they go away with the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus ascends up into heaven and they go into Jerusalem to sit with their Bibles and pray and read their Bibles with their freshly opened understanding and learn the word of God. Learn the things that Jesus had said of himself just as Jesus had said that they would do these born again believers who have now been given the Holy Spirit of God met with one accord and one mind in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren in Acts chapter 1 and verse 14 you can see again Jesus's words words to the disciples in Acts chapter 1 8 but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth and this again Jesus gives the primary purpose of the work of the Holy Spirit of God in the life of a believer as it touches the world around you that ye shall be witnesses unto me Jesus Christ introduced the Holy Spirit of God to his fearful disciples as the comforter the one that would bring peace to the inner man he breathed on them and said receive the Holy Ghost and opened their understanding and the operation of the Holy Spirit in the life of those new believers was a increased understanding an opened understanding an ability to rightly divide the word of truth and understand doctrine that they had not been able to grasp in their natural man and then as regards the touching of the world around them and the people around them Jesus Christ tells them, ye shall be witnesses unto me. The primary work of the Holy Spirit of God in the life of a believer as touching the world around him is the dissemination of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power and anointing of Almighty God that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that he rose again from the dead, and whosoever believes on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. This is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit 
word of God is given by our Lord Jesus Christ. Here in the book of Acts chapter 2, we find in verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because the every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. But Peter in verse 14, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and there you find him preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ with power. God took born again believers who had been comforted by the Holy Ghost, whose understanding of the word of God had been opened by the Holy Spirit of God and he filled them with the Holy Spirit of God that they might have a surplus and an overflow to pour out upon a lost and dying world. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 the Bible tells us be not drunk with wine wherein is excess but be filled with the Holy Spirit of God but be filled with the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. Now, in the book of Acts here, we find that the believers went on preaching the word of God. And here we could stop for just a moment and just discuss the baptism of the Holy Ghost for just a second. This is not something that should even be controversial in our churches. This is not something that is anything to squabble over. Baptism is something that is done to someone. The Bible says that by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Whenever a believer believes, on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God puts that believer into Christ. Literally, the Bible says that we are seated in Christ in heavenly places. And that position in Christ is as literal as your position sitting on a couch, sitting on a chair, sitting on your seat in your car while you drive down the road. And that operation of the Holy Spirit of God to put the believer into Christ is being baptized by one spirit into the body of Christ. But if you look here, in the book of Acts, we want to look at a couple other places where it says filled. Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 4 and verse 8, Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit. And he went on and preached. Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. Here the people that were born again by the power of God that had been filled with the Holy Spirit in verse 2 are gathered here. All the disciples, the new converts and the old converts, they're praying together in one place. And it says in verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. Go to Acts chapter 5 and we'll begin to look at the subject of the question 
anointing of the Holy Spirit of God. As we go there, I want you to understand today that these born-again believers who had the Spirit of God poured out upon them and were immersed, baptized in the Holy Ghost by Christ, that this is a different operation from being baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. It's the same Spirit, the same God, and He does the same basic work, but it has two different effects. Being baptized into the body of Christ by the Spirit of God is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God, putting you into Christ and eternally sealing you into the day of redemption as He promised in His Word. But Christ baptizing believers in the power of the Holy Spirit is part of the intercessory work of Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father who is seeking God's face for mercies and power for us and utterance and unction to be His witnesses. And that is an immersion. It is not some kind of weird mystery. It is the Holy Spirit of God coming on an indwelt believer and filling His innermost being beyond the innermost being into the soul, out into the mind, the will, and the emotions, and then bursting forth from his hands, from his feet, from his eyes in the works of Christ. Greater works than these shall ye do because I go unto my Father. Now in Acts chapter 5, we're going to begin to look at this subject of quenching the Spirit, and um, and we'll see it a couple times through Acts as we just run quickly through a few verses in Acts. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 1, a certain man named Ananias was sufficient his wife sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price? Well, as it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in, and Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in, and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. Here are two believers who had quenched the Holy Spirit of God and their quenching of the Holy Spirit of God in their own life had led to such sin that their work and their wickedness was going to quench the power of the Holy Spirit of God moving in their church house. To quench means to put out. To quench means to subdue. To quench a flame is to submerge it in water, to pour out something upon it, to cover it with a thick, heavy cloth, maybe a moist or damp cloth, and to put it out. This is what it means to quench. And whenever you sin against the Holy Spirit of God as a born-again believer, and the Holy Spirit of God living within you has been moving, especially, this is especially noted, in great times of the Holy Spirit's moving, 
times of revival, times when God is moving and you refuse to obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit of God, you are quenching the Holy Spirit of God in your heart. If left unchecked, that disease will spread to the church that you attend and from there to other churches around you and here by the power of God and the divine intervention of God in chapter 5, Peter was given revelation of what was going on and declared this prophecy against Ananias and against Sapphira and they died and great fear fell on the church and God prevented the quenching of the Holy Spirit of God in Acts chapter 6 verse 5 they look for a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost and they find him his name is Stephen and then again in Acts chapter 7 and verse 55 in Acts chapter 6 10 we find that this resulted in wisdom and spirit we find here that Stephen here has faith he has the Holy Ghost he has power he has great wonders and miracles he has wisdom and the spirit by which he speaks is his own spirit animated and infused by the Holy Spirit of God we see that in verse 10 with a lowercase f s in chapter 7 and verse 55 it says but he being full of the Holy Ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God we're not even going to take time today to mess with the fakes and the phonies we're just preaching today on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit of God and what it means to quench the Holy Spirit of God Acts chapter 8 and verse 15 he says who when they were come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost here were some people who'd been saved down in Samaria and they had not received the Holy Ghost they were born again and dwelt with the Holy Spirit of God and here the apostles Peter and John came down and prayed for them and they received the Holy Ghost you can explain that away if you want to or you can just take the Bible for what it says I prefer Lord willing to take the Bible for as it says every time I explain it away it backfires on me. Acts chapter 9 and verse 17. And Ananias went his way. Listen to me today. You don't have to understand everything in the Bible. Just because other people do stupid, wicked things in the name of the Holy Spirit of God and claim that it's God doesn't mean that you have to throw out whole passages of Scripture you don't understand and try and explain them away. This is Bible time. We get back to the Bible here. We want to know what the Bible says, and we want to obey and follow the Bible. And if you don't understand it, humble yourself before God instead of resting the Scripture to try and attack someone else who doesn't see things like you see it here in Acts chapter 9 and verse 17 and Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said brother Saul here's born again Saul of Tarshish who's been saved when he said Lord what wouldst thou have me to do like the thief on the cross who said remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom Saul laying on the road to Damascus said Lord what wilt thou have me to do he's born again but he hasn't got the the empowering of the Holy Spirit of God, the anointing, the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. And Ananias comes in and puts his hands on him and says, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Notice Ananias did not preach the gospel to Saul. Ananias called him brother. Ananias prayed for him to be healed. Ananias prayed for him to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And we'll look at the manifestation to the lost and dying world here 
Immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales. That's his healing. And he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized, began immediately to obey the commands of Christ in believers' baptism. Verse 19, and when he received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the, the disciples that which were at Damascus, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. And we find again the ultimate purpose of the Holy Spirit of God's work in the life of a born-again believer as regards how it affects other people around him that Paul could not forbear but had to witness of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. If you've got to make people tell other people about Jesus, you've got a flock of goats you're dealing with, not a flock of sheep. Saved people can't keep quiet about Jesus unless they have quenched the Holy Spirit of God or unless they never got filled in the first place. You say, that ain't possible. Well, I'm sorry you see it that way. We're going to look at the Bible and take it for what it says, not what your seminary told you about it. Acts chapter 10 and verse 44. Acts chapter 10 and verse 44, Cornelius here says, or is being talked to by Peter, yet while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcised which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. And we can go on there to chapter 11 and look at how Peter explained this whole event. We've looked at a lot of verses. Let's let the apostle Peter explain to us what all this working of the Holy Spirit is right here. Acts chapter 11 verse 15 and as I began to speak, says Peter, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Here, the Apostle Peter directly links the baptism of the Holy Ghost to the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God and the power of the Holy Spirit of God to give the Christian victory and public witness in his life. He goes on there with his arguments to the church that they should be accepted and received as brethren in spite of the fact that they're Gentiles. We're not getting into that today. Acts 13, 9. Saul here, filled with the Holy Ghost, curses Bar-Jesus, who is Salamis the sorcerer, if I remember his name right. That's 13 and verse 9. Elamis the sorcerer, named um, Bar-Jesus by his Jewish, Jewish name. In Acts 13, 52, it says here that all these, the Disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 14, Paul's miracles backfire. He uses a lot more caution after that. Um, but you can see that the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit becomes so much more a part of Paul's life that there's this shift to where it speaks in 1716 of Paul's spirit being served, stirred. 1618 of Paul being grieved and commanding an evil spirit to depart. And in 185, Paul... <laughs> <clears throat> Paul is pressed in spirit. So here, the work of the Holy Spirit in Paul's life becomes so much a part of Paul that it starts to blend together. We find in 1825 that Apollos shows up preaching and he's fervent in lowercase s spirit. <clears throat> 
but he's not even saved yet. Do you hear me? He's mightily convincing the Jews, but he's not even saved yet. And he's a preacher. In Acts chapter 19, Paul comes across some Christians who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but they've been baptized, uh, maybe by Apollos himself, according to John's baptism. He says, have you received the Holy Ghost? They say, we don't even know if there is a Holy Ghost. He preaches to them, baptizes them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, or the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. You say it was only Jesus. Jesus is all three, and Jesus commanded us to do all three. You can't exclude the other. We're moving on. We don't have time for that. Um, so here you have, you received the Holy ghost and they do in 1911 here, he's got special miracles in use in 21, four, the disciples are speaking to Paul through the spirit and Agabus comes and prophesies and says, thus saith the Holy ghost. And then, um, throughout all this book of acts, we see here that there's a new problem that has come up. Here's a brand new problem to the church that didn't come up until somewhere around Acts 18. And that brand new problem is an eloquent, Bible-believing, doctrinally accurate preacher of righteousness, mightily convincing the Jews in the fervor of his own spirit, but lacking the power of the Holy Spirit of God and producing converts who biblically have an understanding of Christ, who are imperfect in some of their doctrines, but most of all are lacking the power of the Holy Spirit of light of Christ in their lives. The Bible says that if any man have not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. But then the Bible turns around in the same chapter of Romans 8, go there, and verse 13, and God says, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. It is perfectly possible and more common than not for a Bible-believing Christian born again by the power of God to function in the fervor of his own spirit rather than in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And this is what the Bible talks about when it says, if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. It says here in the word of God, but the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Look down there at verse 11, but all these worketh the one and that one and the self same spirit. All what the working of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, diverse kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. He says, but all these worketh that one and the self same spirit dividing to every man severally as he will for as the body is one and hath many members and all the members of that one body being many are one body. So also is Christ for by one spirit, are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free and have been all made to drink into one spirit. It's one thing for God to move into you. It's another thing for God to move through you to affect a lost and dying world around you, which is only possible through the filling of the Holy Spirit of God that Peter referred to as the baptism with the Holy Ghost that Jesus Christ had promised, also known as the promise of the Father. Go to 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 14. 
1 Corinthians 6 and verse 14, it says, And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with a lowercase s. The spirit that is born again by the power of God in your life when you become saved by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ plus nothing minus nothing. That spirit that is born of God is called in 1 John that holy thing which is born of God that can not sin. That spirit is one spirit with God. That's what the Bible says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17. When a born again believer sins against God, his body is sinning and his spirit is grieving. It says in verse 18, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We have several other verses here to look at today, but in order to see this more clearly, we need to take a look at an Old Testament type. And so let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Ezekiel. In the meantime, as you're going there, if you will remember Solomon in the book of first Kings that Solomon dedicated the temple. He built the temple and he dedicated the temple as you're going to Ezekiel eight in first Kings eight. Solomon brings the ark of the covenant into the temple, but the Shekinah glory of God has, has not descended into the temple. The work is done. The sacrifices there are done. They have um, done a dedication. They're in the midst of a dedication service. And in the midst of all of this, they bring in the ark and they put it in its place. This is a picture of the indwelling of the believer. First Corinthians says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body body and in your spirit, which are God's. So here the ark is now in the temple. The, the law has been fulfilled. The law has been satisfied in that temple as it is in the believer when he trusts in Jesus Christ as his propitiation for his sins. So that ark is now in that holy place. And then we find that they pray and they dedicate the temple. And when they do that, the Holy Spirit of God comes and fills the temple so that they cannot even stand to minister. A picture of that great work that God would do at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and that great work that we are commanded to allow God to do in Ephesians where it says, be filled with the Spirit of God. There in Ezekiel chapter 8, we find here that the children of Israel have been sinning in Solomon's temple. They have brought wickedness into Solomon's temple. And it says there in Ezekiel chapter 8, that there's an image of jealousy in that temple. I better turn there myself or I won't be able to continue. You pray for me as I preach. 
It is with fear and with trembling that I preach this today, not as one who has attained something, but as one who follows after that he might attain that close communion with God that we're commanded to live in. There have been times in my life where I've walked in this kind of power and where God has touched me and I come before you preaching this word, mostly backslidden, half fallen out on God, tired and weary, exhausted and in desperate need of another feeling of the Holy Spirit of God, a fresh and All through the Bible, by the way, they rededicated that temple when it got messed up. So don't you tell me it's a one-time act. Nowhere in the Bible in typology or anywhere in the doctrines of the New Testament can you find the fullness of the Holy Spirit as a one-time act with some kind of weird dog and pony show that goes along with it. Rather, you find it a continual process of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit of God in the life of believers who repent of their sin and turn back to God in desperation and rededicate their temple to God and God fills the temple again if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and the result as as it was in the beginning will always be the same as it regards the world around you an increased burden desire and power to be a witness for Jesus Christ Ezekiel chapter 8 here, it says that the image of jealousy was in the temple. And in verse 4 it says, And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there according to the vision that I saw on the plain. And there's some people that may listen to this today who know that in your church house at one time the presence of the glory of the God of Israel was there in your church and you've experienced the presence and the power of the God of Israel in your life. But the image of jealousy has been sitting there in the, in the temple in the inner gate and the glory of the God of Israel is there but there's images of jealousy there too. And I'm here to warn you I'm here to tell you it can't go on like that. Open, unconfessed sin in the same place as the Shekinah glory of God. Something's got to give. God will not share His glory with any man. And God will not be a partaker with devils. And the cup of devils here in Ezekiel chapter 8 and verse 5. Then said He unto me, Son of man, lift up thine eyes now the way toward the north. So I lifted up mine eyes the way toward the north. And behold, northward at the gate of the altar this image of jealousy in the entry he said furthermore unto me son of man seest thou what they do even the great abominations that the house of Israel committeth here that I should go far off from my sanctuary but turn thee yet again and thou shalt see greater abominations than these and he brought him to the door of the court and he looked and there's a wall and he dug in the wall he said son of man dig now in the wall and when I had digged in the wall behold a door and he said unto me go in and behold the wicked abominations that they do here so I went in and saw and behold every form of creeping things and abominable beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall round about church this is the world in the church this is sin in your home this is sin in your heart this is unconfessed sin that nobody knows about but you but God knows about it and God said the hidden things will be made manifest 
He says, son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the chambers of his imagery, for they say, the Lord seeth us not. The Lord hath forsaken the earth. He said also unto me, turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations that they do. And he brought them to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north. And behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz, a false god. And he goes on and tells them again of them worshiping the sun in the house of the Lord, so that as they come to the church house and as they say the name of God yet they're worshiping false idols and their back is to God while their mouths are openly professing God and God said it's abomination it's abomination look at chapter 9 and verse 3 and the glory of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub whereupon he was now that cherub is not the cherub on the mercy seat as I once thought it was if you read the description of the glory of God appearing to Ezekiel the glory of God appeared upon a cherub and this is what he's speaking of God is visiting after a time of separation after a time where God has moved away the spirit has been grieved away the spirit has moved has withdrawn from the church the spirit has withdrawn from the person from the born again believer he's pulled back and yet here he comes again and he moves off of the cherub and he moves on to the threshold of the house the threshold of the church house the threshold of the believer who's been living in sin and there he is upon the threshold and he begins to judge he begins to look he begins to mark those that truly love him and here in chapter 9 we find that God is giving the sinner a chance to deal with his sin he's giving the sinner a chance to get right with God but the sinner's so busy in his sin the sinner's so comfortable in his false religion that he never notices God one preacher has said it is a miracle every time God gives a sinner the opportunity to change change directions and here is a visitation of almighty God on the threshold of the house of God to call the sinners to repentance but that goes unheeded chapter 10 and verse 4 judgment is declared then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub and stood over the threshold of the house and the house was filled with the cloud and the court was full of the bright of the Lord's glory so often when God comes to visit again we take God's presence in our midst and for granted and we act like because God has showed up that that means we're right with God when we're not right with God and he wants us to get right and he's calling us to repentance but we look in pride at the brightness of the court and go on weeping for tamas and eating the abominable things and the broth of abominable creatures in our vessels and with our backs to God as we worship the sun and in the court of the Lord. Here it says, the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub and stood over the threshold of the house. Again, God comes up and visits. Oh, sinner, as long as God has not judged yet, there's still time to repent. There's still mercy to be found. But the sinner goes on in his sin, from sin to sin, placated by God's apparent nearness, his conscience salved by what he sees as the favor of God in his life. Chapter 10 and verse 19, and the cherubims lifted up their 
wings and mounted up from the earth in my sight. When they went out, the wheels also were beside them and everyone stood at the door of the east gate of the Lord's house and the glory of the God of Israel was over them. God is now lifted up. But before leaving completely, he pauses and lets the glory of God shine upon this sinner again and he calls them again. He deals with them again, but unheeding, unlistening, they go on in their sin, assuming that the presence of the glory of God over the gate is approbation or pleasure in their sin and in their ungodliness. America, this is where you're at today. Churches of America, this is where you're at today. God has shown us some mercy for a little space, and instead of repenting, we go on in our sin, thinking we've got time, and time is running out. God is not willing that any should perish, but they all should come to repentance. That's what it says in 2 Peter 3 verse 9. But the next verse says, but the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. The day of the Lord will come. The judgment of God will fall. chapter 11 and verse 23 and the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood upon the mountain which is on the east side of the city God moves out of Zion now he moves over to the Mount of Olives so it is with the believer typified here by Zion who goes on still in his trespass so it is with the church who goes on still in its trespass God will wound the hairy scalp of him that is reproved and will not turn God will turn your body over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh he will do it to a whole church when the church is in sin together And he will do it to an individual where the individual sins together. And this is what the Bible is talking about when it says, quench not the spirit. Here we find the spirit has moved to a mountain on the other side of the valley across. Here the spirit of God withdraws and he sits to watch what he's, what is going to come about. He's going to watch the judgment that he has commanded. In the life of an individual believer, the spirit of God withdraws to that most holy place, the new nature, the new man, that holy thing that is born of God that cannot commit sin. And there on a mountain on the other side of the valley, he sets up camp to orchestrate the judgment and destruction of the unruly body of his child who he loves. Christ will win. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 14. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel after the flesh are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What say I then, that the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy, he asks? 
For I have received of the Lord. This is 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread. And drink of that cup, for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world." He said, therefore, this cause many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. As we close here today, I want to tell you with all the assurance of the word of God that Jesus Christ will win. The Bible says, all that the father hath given me shall, all that the father giveth me shall come to me and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Jesus has never lost a sheep and never will. But our God is a consuming fire. And he will chasten, and he will purge, and he will give over the body. The Bible says, if any man defile the temple, him will God destroy. Quench not the Spirit. Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, help us to respond to your Holy Spirit. Please convince us again of our sin. Show us our error before it's too late, Father. Before you have to withdraw and turn us over, Father. Lord, I pray that in my life that you'd have mercy on me. Show me my sin that I may judge myself, Lord. Show me in a way that I cannot even argue with you. Make it plain to me through your word and through the convincing, convicting power of your Holy Spirit. Do that for all those that are here, those that would listen online. And Father, please do it for this nation of America, Lord, that has sinned against the Almighty. Grievously sinned against you, Lord. And we go on in our fervor, acting like you're there and you're not, Father. Lord, when you visit us, Lord, help us to respond. When you convict us, help us to get right. Help us to be ready and have our ears open, our heart open, when you speak to us and to do business with you and not to wait. We love you, Lord. Help us to be zealous and repent. In Jesus' name, amen.